0: Today, we have with us Peter Burns. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Peter is a serial entrepreneur who has started more than 100 companies, and he's going to be sharing with us some of the businesses that he's worked working with uh, currently and how he's positioning those companies for for successful exit in the future. But before we dive into that, Peter, why don't you share with us your background?
1: I started very early age. You actually track it to six when I was with my dad on a golf course, flying around and watching people hit their golf balls into the water holes, and they'd usually take a quick look and then leave. And back then, and this was, gosh, uh, I'm dating myself now, over fifty years ago, fifty-six years ago, a golf ball is a dollar twenty-five. So, wait until we finished the round. I ran home, got my waiter set up a lemonade stand. When somebody would plunk it into the uh, water. I would wait in and sell them back their golf ball. <laughs> and I made 50 bucks. they um, really threw me off the golf course. But I also realized that $50 was equivalent to six months worth of my allowance at two bucks a week. So that kind of sparked, if you could, solve an issue, solve a problem, make money, and uh, make it on your own. And so that kind of became my mantra. Officially started when I was in college um, at the University of Virginia, and I ended up growing up in New Canaan, Connecticut, very corporate family. My dad was a pretty famous um, advertising executive. He worked at Ogilvy and Doyle Dean. He's the model behind that hit TV series Mad Men, um, mm-hmm. and he's he's sort of like uh, that. That's him. And my little brother Michael, who runs Lionsgate Entertainment, that's one of their one of their shows. So. They used my dad for the model because that's really what his life was all about. I grew up in an atmosphere. Never wanted to be a corporate guy. Everybody in the family did the corporate thing. Michael does, Lionsgate, my brother Kevin's got his own multi-billion dollar hedge fund, yada, yada. I left, joined the Army at 17, um, was being trained uh, to become a ranger and head overseas. And thank God I was appointed to West Point. And they plucked me out of the infantry and took me up to West Point Prep. And while I was there, I won a ROTC scholarship. And I gave back the appointment and took the ROTC scholarship to the University of Virginia. And then while I was at UVA, I was bored to death, even though it was beautiful, Thomas Jefferson. You know, it was gorgeous. gorgeous. But I had been with really tough soldiers. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm in bucolic University of Virginia. So I, I really wanted to get something to shake it up. So I saw a, a the course registry, and um, I found a course called Entrepreneurship, and it was offered. And back then, most schools couldn't even spell entrepreneurship. Remember, this was back in the late 70s. And so I knocked on the door of the professor offering the course and wanted to get in. Little problem. you had to be a member of the McIntyre School of Commerce, which at the time and probably still is number one undergraduate school in the United States can't get in until third year. I was a freshman. Number two, you couldn't get entrepreneurship until you were a fourth-year student in McIntyre. It's a waiting list around the block. So he was kind of chuckling, you know, no way, Jose. And I I asked him, I told him, well, let me tell you who I am and what I've done. And basically he said, if you, I will invite you to the class, and if you can convince your fellow classmates who had to bust their ass to get in the class, um, you're in. And I did, and I was, and I did my first official business in 1977. I created the first moped rental business in the United States by importing them from Austria. I tried it that summer in Nantucket, made 55 grand in 10 weeks. I was a 19-year-old kid, gave back the rest of that scholarship, moved to Florida with the mopeds, opened up 100 different locations around the world and parlayed that into dozens, scores, hundreds of businesses over the years, using that as my financial foundation. I stayed in the mix um, of uh, education by lecturing every year, twice a year at the same professor until he retired. I got the blood of teaching, and my blood of teaching entrepreneurship to others, which became the foundation of me teaching entrepreneurship myself after my divorce. I moved from Florida to Arizona, I was introduced to my daughter's dean of the Barrett Honors College at ASU, he let me teach my own course, I had 19 students, we started, oh gosh, we had 13 business plans, we started five companies, then I had 94 students the second semester, I took a whole program after the first year to, to Grand Canyon University, also in Phoenix, where I started the first college of entrepreneurship in the United States. That was my academic career in entrepreneurship. I have it in my blood. I now live in Southern California. I moved out here really on a whim three years ago because I was living in the Hamptons. I was invited to come out. Someone wanted to invest in one of the businesses that I started that involved um, multimillion dollar vacation villas and came here with luggage for a week and I stayed and it's been three years. So I started, hmm probably five or six businesses since I've been here. And that's my background of entrepreneurship. It's in my blood. I've never actually had a job, never want to have a job. I start businesses faster than most people put on their shoes. So that's my background.
0: That's incredible. It sounds like you have this expertise in launching these kind of niche, but very profitable businesses. So kind of walk me through, what's your approach when you see an opportunity that you want to start a business around?
1: So, first off, I learn about what the business of it makes any fiscal sense whatsoever. Then I find out if it's blue ocean. A blue ocean simply means there's not a lot of competitors in it that just eat you, like like a shark infested sea would be, you know, red ocean. I look for blue ocean opportunities. You don't have everybody's brother in it. So they're not nickel and diamond, and you know, taking your profit margins. Then what I do is I do a basic business plan put up the website, have a little bit of marketing, capitalize to the point where I can at least see if someone's willing to pay me money for that service or product. If that happens, I have a real business. And then I turn on the afterburners. I bring in experts in every field that I've accumulated in my last 44 years. We launch it into a real business. We bob and weave until and when we've turned into a good sized company. I'm usually long gone by then because I have the attention span of a gnat and I'm on to something else. I really am a startup serial entrepreneur. That's really what my expertise is in. I, that's all I do. And I, I'm a strategist, Mark. I learned how to play chess when I was very young. And at nine years old, I was a little under a grandmaster master in, in the point system. And I could actually beat six, I could have six people playing with me, much older of course, and I'd beat four of them. So I had learned to plan my moves, many, many moves in, in advance. So. Really, what my forte is recognizing opportunity for and, and actually implementing before anyone even sees there's an opportunity or a possible business. So, I'm already in there, running it, making a profit, and probably on to the next deal before the people even wake up and see there there's an opportunity first. First place.
0: It's incredible. So, what opportunities are you excited about now? Well,
1: this is a really kind of fun one. There's two that I have been am working on. What I'm doing right now. So. Um, when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, after my divorce to be close to my children, which of course started the whole entrepreneur, um, education component, I bought a very large mansion in Phoenix country club from a gentleman who'd been building for years there. And he rehabbed a 1929 mansion, massive, it was gorgeous, got a great history to it. And that's where I lived. And I was buying it to turn it around and sell it because I bought it inexpensive. Well, not really inexpensively, but less than what it's worth. And I was involved in real estate there at the time. So um, this gentleman called me in June and he reads my blogs on my uh, LinkedIn and I hadn't talked to him literally, let alone meet him for 20 years. And he said, hey Peter, remember me? I'm the one that sold you the mansion and the Rolls Royce and that's another funny story. And then he, he said, I go, yeah Tim, how are you? And he said, well I'm into something else been reading your blogs, I think you might be able to help me on the financing ad. And I said, tell me what, tell me what you need. And so, so you understand, um, even though my family was quite well to do, it's not like they just handed me a check for a million bucks because I had a good idea. I had to figure out how to finance it. And as a kid and an entrepreneur before Microsoft and Apple and all the other young Turks, um, were respected businessmen that could actually access capital, nobody would even talk to us. So we had to figure out pretty clever how to figure out how to do our own financing. So I got good at it, and I probably raised and um, and put out about 600 million bucks over the years. All alternate sources of capital, not bank. I don't deal with banks. They're worthless. So I figured out different ways to, to do clever financing things. Anyway, I finally decided about a year ago to start my own financing company. I just aggregated services and vendors at preferential rates and all the things, and I call it Burns Funding. And so I would do different blogs on my LinkedIn. This guy saw it, and he said, I'm involved in another form of building a really niche market, and from reading your history and knowing you, you might be able to help me. I go, sure, hit me up. And he goes, there is a complete market for group homes here, specifically in Arizona, but certainly across the United States. 10,000 people are turning 65 every day of the year in the United States. I go, really? And he goes, there's nowhere for them to go. If they have very severe medical issues, they can go into certain rehab places and things like that. But there are people that are simply aging gracefully, and they can no longer take care of themselves in their own homes. And so I have found a niche group homes where I take a single-family home in a nice neighborhood. I redo it so that there's ten bedrooms and ten baths because that's the limit in the state of Arizona. I get it so they have all the stuff for handicapped and all the stuff restricted, and I license it as a group home. And a group home is simply ten members, non-related, who live. They have all their meals provided for them, so there's a chef. They have Minor helps, aches and pains and stuff. So there's someone with a nursing background, but not they don't, they don't have a lot of maladies. They don't have a lot of medical issues. They just want to live out their life in a place that's comfortable, kind of like where they had from back home, with people who are the same uh, type of people that they're used to in a nice neighborhood. And I said, really, it's so interesting, Tim. So what do you need? He said, well, I buy the home for 300000 I put about a hundred grand in it. Now it could change. It could be four hundred and hundred and fifty, whatever it is. But I by the time I've got it, I've got it built out and converted this the single family home into the 10-bedroom, um, I get the licensing, and the licensing is for a group home for this 10-bedroom level deal. And the and that that takes me 90 days, soup to nuts. Now I've immediately increased the value from the 400 I have in into 600, just on the house itself that's empty. So I've been selling these homes to people that want to get into the group home business because I don't have the money to carry it and operate the homes themselves, even though they're very profitable. So I sell it on the Delta, so if I got 400 in it, I sell it for 600 or as close to it as I can, and that's how I've been doing it. I did it 13 times in this one huge development at Del Webb, which has Sun City, and there's 111,000 residents all retired, and it's worked out like a charm. He said, here is the niche, the federal government passed anti-discrimination laws that forbid HOAs from keeping a group home out of any neighborhood in the United States, period. So I'm in this place where everyone's retired anyway, they're aging. I take these people's homes, I turn them around, and I have the homes generate really good income. And I said, okay, Tim, I want you to send me your paperwork, send me what the numbers are. And I looked at it and I called back, and I said, I'm not just going to lend you the money, I'm going to be your partner. So I partnered up with them, end of June, we had eight homes in Arizona. And we found them, rehabbed them, put them into use. We're about ready to launch them and fill them up. I have the whole infrastructure done, but here's the really interesting thing, Mark. I think this might be interesting to to your listeners. So remember that mansion that uh, he sold me 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. Well, he, I called him up after I had a dream, and I said, wait a minute. My dad gave $20,000 a month 15 years ago to live in a very nice one in Santa Monica, right on the ocean with a restaurant. I said, Wealthy people would like to live like they used to. They don't necessarily want to downsize their entire lifestyle if there's an alternative, but there wasn't before. So I said, Tim, why can't I just buy a mansion and do an assisted living to these same people that have more money? And instead of charging what you're charging, which is five or six thousand per month for bedroom, I charge fifteen or twenty thousand because they will. And he says, You're dead on, no one's ever done it. I did a blog called Monetizing Mansions. I turned around and bought the place back again for less than when he sold it to me 20 years ago. And it's going to be the first ever recalibrated mansion assisted living on a high level in a neighborhood that in a million years wouldn't let this happen if the federal government hadn't stepped in and made it law. And how many mansions are out there that are white elephants? I got it for $2 million or $2.5 less than what the market is and I'm gonna pull in 15000 to 18000 a bedroom and net 700000 bucks a year. I literally can pay for the mansion in four years. And then now I'm making, instead of being a money pit, which these big homes are, it's actually being, it's mon- I monetized it. So that's got me very excited and I've, I've been scaling the heck out of it. And I've only been out of this for four months.
0: That's incredible. So tell me, how are you planning on financing additional mansions? You talked about some of these creative funding uh, funding ideas.
1: Well, when you have a good track record, money comes to you. So I literally have an alternate financing source of private capital. I have a billion dollars, a billion and a half dollar line of credit. So I find a place that meets the standards for this lender, call them up. My team puts all the paperwork together and I got my financing.
0: Wow. When you're, let's say, less established. So for... Most small business owners you know, that, that don't have a billion dollars or a billion and a half dollars line of credit, what are some of the creative funding uh, strategies that they might have at their disposal?
1: There's so many. Um, gosh, there's so many. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So let's say you're a franchisor or a startup franchisor, and I did this 30 years ago. Well, you need to capitalize your franchise here in the United States. So what you do is you create it so you can offer it overseas on licensing or master franchises in the countries you may never even go to. And you pick the countries willy nilly that you might never even end up going there. And then you sell those rights at what appears to be a cheap deal on an American franchise or which goes right to capitalize your business back home, even if you would go into that that country yourself, you're still gonna collect the royalties because you know you get an upfront fee plus you get um, the, the royalties on what you're doing. So I actually have funded two franchisors 10, 20, 30 years ago by doing just that. Selling the rights to it in other countries that you may never even go. So that's one idea. You also make an acquisition. I, I just did this. So somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn who wanted to get into the elder care business in Phoenix of all places. And he'd been reading the stuff that I was doing with with my builder and, and the mansions and all that good stuff. So he wrote back and he wanted to talk to me, and he said he had been a very successful builder, but like most builders, they got crushed in the recession 2008, 2009. He still had his his people, he still had his people, and his contacts and access to deals, but he didn't have the money that he had before. He was looking at what I was doing in the same field that he was doing, And he decided that he would like to partner up with me in some way. Now this man didn't have any money, but he had a really interesting kind of asset. And the asset was a franchise company in the med spa business. And he had built it out where he had 40 operating entities. And a large company called Princeton Ventures, which owned, uh, what was it called? Massage Envy. He had bought it for $40 million, sold it for $440 million, had a pile of cash, and they were looking for their next deal. They saw his med spa business that they could throw their horsepower behind. They bought his franchise. And so, so part of the buyout was he was able to retain the franchise rights to five what I think are the best possible locations here in Southern California that allow him to open up 147 med spas. Now, med as you know, have the Botox and all that kind of stuff. Highly profitable. Have to have a doctor associated with it. Yada, yada, yada. Well, when Princeton Ventures is going to throw a bunch of money in marketing stuff, they're going to get a boatload of doctors who become the franchisees. And each each unit is six or seven hundred thousand. Well, my my fellow that, that wanted to do business with me, he wanted to get into my business, throw his weight behind it, and help me and develop. He said the only answer that I have. Is rights. He said, can I pledge that to you to borrow the money to invest in your operation? And I started thinking about it. I said, well, well, John, you're, you're not going to have any money to develop your franchise. And I do. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a value of what your untapped 147 licenses here in Southern California. And I'm going to trade you equities. I'm going to take your 59% of your 147 franchise rights and I'm going to sell you 11% of my company and you're going to come to work with me. I'm going to take over your office and your staff. You're going to help me implement all of your genius ideas and you've sold a billion dollars or you've done a billion dollars for the construction. And we we did it 11 days from the time I talked to him till I signed the deal with him. It was 11 days. We take over officially on January 1st the point of this is, I now have 147 med spas that now I'm going to figure out what to do with it, and it was basically free. Wow! So you you peel off assets of something that people may not realize they have the capacity, or maybe they can't do it themselves, and you figure to implement. And it's it's worked for me for years. I'm I'm into everything, and, and that's just what I
0: do. Why do you think most people don't think this way when it comes to financing?
1: Well, they've been taught something that's completely incorrect. They can't do it that way. They've been educated in schools, they're taught by professors that have never actually done anything except hold on for dear life to get tenure. They've never actually done anything in business, but they, yet they teach it. They, they teach by rote, they teach by memorization. There's no one that teaches creative skills. You know, I'm nothing if not thinking out of the box how I live out of the box. I mean, my family, of course, thinks I'm insane, but, you know, they're probably right. But, you know, I live in Southern California. I have a pretty good life. And I make more money than most people do in a week that they do in a lifetime if I put the deal together. Now, it's, it has pitfalls. Don't get me wrong, Mark. I've made and lost friggin' fortunes. Made the wrong call on some things, but it doesn't matter. That's what I call tuition. When you lose. It, that's your that's your tuition. That is what you paid to learn how not to do something. Most people are gutless. Most people like live lives of quiet desperation, like Henry David Thoreau used to say in Walden Pond. I don't. I have no fear, and that's what they got to get over. Your fear is what paralyzes you. You've got to just try it, and you've got to get a mentor. You've got to get somebody like me who's been there and done that. It takes you what to do, but you gotta listen to the mentor. Otherwise you're just gonna be in a cubicle, you know, for the rest of your freaking life. They don't even give watches anymore. Someone buys a company and fires you anyway. So there's no security work for somebody else,
0: ever was. When you're educating students, what was the number one takeaway you wanted them to have from your course?
1: I wanted them to try it. I wanted them to come up with an idea or, or jump on somebody else's wagon and be a complimentary skill set to a team of entrepreneurs, and I just want them to try it. You've got nothing to lose. Seriously, and when you're young, that's when you should take all the chances. But, you know, a lot of people waste their whole lives by working for somebody and then try it, and then they're risking everything that they've accumulated. But here's the thing that you have to understand. The risk is in not trying. That's the biggest risk all of us face.
0: Yeah. These are to great insights. Where can people go to learn more about you and the ventures that you're starting?
1: I have a website called PeterJBurns3.com. It has a list of my current ventures right now. It has a list of ones I'm looking at. It's my whole history. I've been featured in national publications for the last, I don't even know, 40 years. They're all on there. Everything's on there. It kind of It's a catch-all thing. But it kind of will give you a spark of what I do. It'll link you up to all of my blogs. That's what you should do. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to help. I love to help. This is what my mission is. My passion is is teaching people financial independence by being entrepreneurs themselves.
0: I love it. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Mark.
1: Pleasure.